Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What is up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the sidelines podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. After a brief summer hiatus with the summer evaluation periods and a trip to see the European Championships over in Europe, the podcast is back, and we're going to kick things off with a legendary guest, FS1 college basketball analyst and college basketball staple, Bill Raftery. Raftery and I talked about a variety of things, but mainly focused on the the new NCAA rules that just came out that, that really impact the landscape. I uh, got his thoughts and what he thinks about them. He shared some of his own ideas, and then we briefly discussed uh, the Kentucky Wildcats trip to the Bahamas. Before I get to that conversation with Bill Raftery, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. The best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you leave a a message, a rating, a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. Now let's jump to that conversation with Fox Sports College basketball analyst, Bill Raftery. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now I want to welcome a colleague of mine and someone uh, I've looked up to uh, a great deal over the years, the, uh, the illustrious Bill Raftery. Welcome to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast, your, uh, your second time on the show. Yeah, how about that? Now I'm getting, getting close to double figures, huh? <laughs> soon enough, soon <laughs> enough. How, uh, how's your off-season off been? You know, pretty relaxing. A little travel here and there. Uh, you know, not a whole lot going on. I was in Vegas with USA Basketball uh, for the fantasy camp, so I got a chance to see the uh, Olympic trial guys. Uh, it was during that July evaluation period, interestingly enough. Uh, so we saw a lot of the college guys. So I guess that's going to change from what I'm reading. Yeah, yeah, we're we're going to get in here in a minute. It's uh, quite the changes, um, and honestly. The college basketball season really isn't that far away. In fact, it starts two and a half months from now with the uh, the Champions Classic on November 6th. And, and before we get into those rule changes uh, that you mentioned, uh, I'm kind of curious, w- when and how do you start preparing uh, for, the, for the college season? I was really impressed with Kentucky, as any would be, anybody would be, uh, because of the, now they've got experience. Uh, they've got young people every year who can play, but... Uh, you know, you, you throw the Travis kid into the mix, it probably gives him a, a nice low post presence that, uh, you know, they, he knows what to do once he gets it, have 18, 19 points a game, Pac-12 player of the year kind of. So uh, one freshman who I, I, I just knows how to play, uh, the hero kid, uh, he's great without the ball, he's unselfish, a pull-up game, uh, just handles it nicely. So, uh, you know, you throw in those other greats, sort of like Washington, I think it's bigger and stronger. Uh, knows how to pass it well. So, uh, you know, look, always, Kentucky's going to be in the mix this year. I think John's got 10 or 11 uh, at some point that he can play. Yeah, they're, they're deep this year too, uh, Raph. And I think you mentioned Hero. I'm going to throw something at you. I, I think that he's got a little Devin Booker to him. I'm not saying he's going to – 
um, be as good as Devin, but I think he could have that type of impact on that team. And I think last year they were missing a guy that could really make shots. And, and while Hero's a shooter, he's more than just a, a knockdown guy. He, he's pretty versatile in his ability to score. They remind you quite a bit of Larry Bird uh, in that his total package. I think Booker was better coming off screens, but don't forget this kid's going to learn. So uh, that that comparison, if he can stroke it like him, my goodness, uh, that what a dimension that kid. So. Um, but I, I wanted to to jump into these rule changes, Raf, and I'm curious to get your kind of take on everything. Um, obviously, earlier this month, the NCAA announced a, a number of changes to their bylaws, the recruiting calendar, and even opened up the possibility of players getting agents if they were deemed uh, elite. I, I guess to start, did you think that the NCAA needed to kind of step in and make some changes after the FBI investigation last year? You know, it's there's so many things that have been going on for years that, um, you know, who has who controls basketball and it's certainly not the NCAA, uh, you know, at, at this point. So I, I think the shoe companies influence outside agents influence uh, has also, uh, you know, changed sort of the tenor or the outlook. And, and I, I think what they tried to do with this evaluation period being eliminated, maybe curtail the shoe companies somewhat. You know, all of this is contingent, I believe, particularly the agent of the one-and-done rule going through, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, once you get an agent and, and you decide to go back to school, you cannot have that agent anymore. I, I think the underlying problem to me has always been somebody who befriends this kid or his family. They're recognized late in grades, and uh, things are done. I, I still don't know how you control that. Uh, where that influence is there, and ultimately the hope of an agent is to have that young man choose him when they're finished or choose those he's working for. So I, I think there's been a, you know, an attempt, and probably some will have to be refined, understanding of having outside influences. For example, if there's an investigation by any outside agency uh, because the NCAA is really restricted, and what they can and cannot do in investigations, they can't tape people, for example. That is certainly going to help them determine those that have done some bad things. So a lot of good is probably in it and probably a long way to go, too, Evan, I think. I, I think they just have to keep plotting away, and hopefully the Players Association and the NBA will go along with them and the USA Basketball, too. Yeah, no. I, what you were alluding to at the at the end is maybe the, I mean, the biggest thing and, and the biggest change here, requiring presidents and chancellors and athletic staff members to to contract contractually comply with the investigations, and then also the NCAA is is now allowed to use information and finding from outside investigations in their infractions process. Do you think having these type of bylaws will make coaches second guess themselves potentially doing something they shouldn't? Well, I, I don't know if they'll second guess them. So I, I don't know if it's the coaches as much as others. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah, some of these cases, uh, people might think a coach is naive, but there's, there's some kids who are, have been charmed and families uh, under the influence of an outside agent uh, that doesn't really pray, P-R-E-Y, uh, on where this kid goes or 
why he goes. So I, I think ultimately, uh, you know, the school is responsible, but there's cases where they have no idea that something's been done behind or, uh, you know, not, not according to Hoyle. Uh, but I, I do think the schools being responsible and all these legal implications, a lot more people, if they want to play in this underhanded way, are going to be caught. And, and they're going to be out of the coaching business. So I, I, I do think there's going to be some examples made as we pursue or they pursue this kind of uh, road down to, to cleaning up the game. For sure. Now, I think one area that I uh, agreed with some of the changes was uh, with the ability for players to return to college if they don't get drafted. I actually think that's great for the sport. The only problem, Evan, which and I agree with you totally, is that what do you do now if you've offered a scholarship to somebody? Who gets hurt, the incoming kid or the returning kid? Uh, they are going to have to address that and say, well, if he comes back, we're going to add another scholarship on. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt in this unless they address that as well. I don't know what you think about that. No, I, I agree with you. Somebody's definitely going to get hurt. And, and part of the problem, too, is, is is with guys being able to come back if they want, if they don't get drafted, you know, sometimes, as you, you said, coaches have moved on and have offered scholarships and other kids are coming in. But then also there's this sense of, like, starting July where there's not a full roster in place or, or the end of June, you don't know – uh, what your roster makeup is going to be. And honestly, uh, by July, it's really hard to, to add a significant piece or, or move around your roster. So I do think that that's certainly an issue, but it's, it sounds like that's just something that the, the college guys are going to just have to adjust to and, and figure out. Right. No, but, but again, I, I can just imagine some young guy coming into whatever school you want to pick, Southern Cal, and they've got a full 13 complement. Uh, scholarship kids and whoever decides well you know what i'm not good enough the, well, what, what's uh, going to happen what's going to happen is the guy that's the 13th best player on that bench is going to get run off well that that's what i think they'll address that though. i don't think you can do that i think uh, you know there's some moral obligations and when you make a commitment so i do think that's something they'll look into I think one of the other big changes is in terms of the, the recruiting calendar, Raph, and, and you mentioned you were out in Vegas uh, during the, the third evaluation period. I was out there as well. Um, honestly, when it comes to the recruiting changes and the recruiting calendar changes, it felt like to me um, that they just made changes just to make changes. I don't know if the changes they made, or I don't believe that the changes they made impact what they think the issues are. And I, I know you mentioned the shoe companies and, and them trying to curtail that. And what they've done is, is they've basically changed the July recruiting periods from three to two, but only one of those can be an AAU period. The other is going to be a camp. Uh, and then they, they opened up NBA, MBPA Top 100 camp in June and then added two high school weekends. Well, what was kind of mm -hmm. your thoughts and reaction to basically it seems like they're trying to get rid of AAU? I think everything's well-intentioned. Uh, and, you know, you cast dispersions on the, on the AAU. We all know there's some really good people involved and coaches. Uh, I, I think the guys that are going to get hurt are those kids who are – you know, maybe rated in the 200s, who yep. all of a sudden got a little more exposure and got an opportunity to really show their wares. So I, I, I think things are going to happen. 
a lot of those kids are going to choose schools that are not quite the top 20 schools basketball-wise. And within a year or two, they're going to say, you know what, uh, somebody's going to come in and say, come on over to my school. We're, we're one of the top programs in the country. Uh, so I, I think we're going to have a lot of movement from kids who end up going to a maybe lesser acclaimed university basketball-wise and end up – uh, you hear the dog here barking at me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I think there's a lot of. I'm up with the kids up in uh, Rhode Island, so I'm getting some help with this. Is probably the best interview you've had with this dog. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but I think that's part of the deal, though. I, I think, you know, for everything you do, uh, there's some shortcomings. So I think they'll just continually address this, uh, modify, maybe add on. Uh, I think those are some of the. Uh, some of the things that they're trying to do, and I don't think you can do it all at once. Uh, the biggest thing I've heard in terms of a complaint from outside agencies is the financial end of this thing. It's like, boy, well, they've done nothing to address somebody who's done nicely uh, basketball-wise and deserves some piece of the pie type of thing, and I just don't know how they're ever going to address that simply because of uh, if, if I have a son or daughter that plays a minor sport in terms of the university, whether it's swimming or volleyball, uh, everybody's going to step up, whether it's man or a man or a woman. Uh, so I, I think that's one area they've got criticized for, but I just don't know how you ever address this financially. No, it's a, it's, it's certainly a universities that could ever afford it. It's a it's a yeah no question it's a it's a it's a major topic and it seemed like. Um, from reading stories and, and, and Twitter, everybody was pretty disappointed that they didn't address it. Uh, obviously, there's some difficulties um, there. And, I, and by the way, I, I completely agree with what you said in terms of um, the guys that maybe get lost in the shuffle with the recruiting calendar change is those mid and low major players that are trying to earn a scholarship or trying to prove themselves as maybe a more high caliber player than what they're currently being recruited as. Like, Raph, this year there was probably eight to ten guys that moved from outside the top 200 into the top 100, 150, and now being recruited as high major players. I think those guys are going to be the ones that are getting lost in the shuffle in this new format. Because I don't, I don't see how a camp of 800 players is going to um, – I just think that's going to be so difficult. I think it's going to be hard for coaches to move around. And the whole high school weekend segment I, I des definitely disagree with. I, I'm not even sure that there's high school coaches that want that. Right, right. I think the tweaking is going to continue the web. You know, the more you, you the more you do something, and, and and out of the goodness of your heart and with great analysis, uh, it's it's only, uh, you know, a step in the process. And I think that's, you know, meetings with people like you and high school and AAU. Uh, you know, of course, the elephant in the room is always the players' association. We know. Uh, not in the evaluation period, but in some of these concrete statements or advances that, uh, particularly with the elite players, uh, they their their fingerprints have to be on it. Uh, but I, I just think it's like, okay, that's a good start. Let's keep moving forward. And I think that's what they're probably thinking. Let's get through this next summer. Let's hear the complaints. Let's see what direction we can go. And getting back to the finances, you know, the, the one thing I thought that might be possible, and I don't know how, again, you eliminate uh, people who have played other sports and would like to get, uh, obviously gain some uh, financial uh, support, but uh, I do think if there's something to be done where each year 
there's an ex, for example, if you go to West Point or the Naval Academy, you know, I believe when you graduate, there's X amount of dollars that you've accrued. I was just wondering if, if a young man plays for a year and they could do something in terms of a financial reward uh, when he finishes school. Uh, if he goes two years, there's a little more, three years, a little more, not as an incentive to stay, but the realization he might not be good enough. And yet, they, you know, his marquee name becomes valued and uh, people have an interest in what he's done. And uh, I, I just think that might be something that could be thought about to uh, make it a little uh, nicer for kids. And then if there's an emergency at home during the, that period that he's in school, that will be looked into and they could assist the family in any way they could. So I, I think there's a lot of thoughts that different people have. And you talk to quite a few of the people in the basketball world. And I think at some point, a lot of these are going to be uh, crystallized and, and, and only help uh, move in the, in the right direction eventually. For sure. And, and one thing we mentioned or discussed briefly earlier, Raf, is the, uh, the, the agents and their involvement and kids possibly being able to sign with agents. And that's contingent on the NBA and the Players Association opening it up and allowing kids to go straight from high school to the NBA. And I, I do think that's going to happen. It sounds like it's not going to happen before the 2021 class. So that's a ways away from now. Do you think or, or is your preference that it, that it opens up in that way? Well, I, I mentioned that earlier that, I, you know, that that's the cooperation. I think Adam Silver has come out saying that would be an ideal. And I honestly think, Evan, and you've seen these great players. I don't get to see them too much until they get into school. They, there's, there's only a handful of kids that we're talking about For sure. that are really elite status that could be lottery picks. I mean, you count them every year. Uh, and now there's, there's some kids maybe second or third year that have gotten into that. But coming out of high school, there's only a couple, there's very few LeBron James, let's face it. But there's a lot of very talented kids, but they're of a limited number. And the NBA is not going to give money away if you can't play. Uh, they're not going to spec your ability. Uh, you know, oh, this kid could be good four years from now. Uh, although they do stockpile on occasion, as we've seen too, where they say, why is he leaving? And, uh, you know, they want to get the meter going too in terms of financial rewards at the end of that rookie contract. So I, I just think that's a great move forward. If a young guy feels he's good enough and there's an opportunity, I think that takes the pressure off a lot of, uh, well, certainly the NCA and a lot of programs. For sure. I, I completely agree. Raph, you, you excited about the upcoming season? Got a helicopter advertising here on the beach, so my concentration is not what it should be. Uh, am I excited? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, it's funny. We always talk about the blue bloods, and, and I just think what's great about the NCAA tournament is that we have seen they don't necessarily, uh, they're not handed a championship either uh, because you, you have so many programs where guys are three and four year guys, sometimes five, uh, that have played together, they're a little more mature. Uh, they're a little more resilient. Uh, they just have a uh, maybe an inner confidence of playing together and or tough-mindedness. Uh, but the excitement every year is just—it's it's become something. Well, it's special, obviously, but uh, the level of talent at a young age is what just—it's just utterly incredible. I can remember years and years ago where he's only a sophomore, you know, maybe he's a junior or senior. You know, geez, these kids come in, they are ready. They are talented. And I, and I think part of it 
is attributable to that AAU circuit where they've competed, they've developed a confidence. Uh, it's just not reading about somebody that's competing against them, and they they feel they're as good, if not better. So uh, there's, there's, I, I don't think this condemnation totally of the Summer League or the AAU is, is warranted. And I think just keep moving in that direction where add some things, delete them. That didn't work. Let's see what we can do better. And I think we'll see a consortium at some point of, of all the groups we've alluded to during this podcast that, uh, you know, sit down and make it better and make it as good as you can make it uh, and, and just eliminate those that want to uh, play by their own rules, basically. No, I think you're. I think you're dead on, and I hopefully, you know, the NCAA looks back and and tweaks this and adjusts this. And obviously, what they did was well intentioned, and uh, hopefully, they they look back and and uh, um, just are constructive with this and and and, and, and really make an initiative to to try to get this a, um, better and and the best way for every kid possible, not just the top ten kids that are um, that it seems to be focused on. So. Uh, Raph, right. I, I appreciate your time, man. I'm uh, I'm looking forward Anytime, to seeing you man. during the season. Always enjoyed chatting with you. Keep up your great work. And keep filling me up with all those stories about all these players. You make all of us look better. <laughs> I appreciate you, Raph. Have a great day, man. Take care. Bye-bye now. This is Aaron Rodgers. They're going to air it out. Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone. Cobb. Touchdown. Unbelievable. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. And you're listening to The Sidelines with Evan Daniels. We'd like to once again thank Bill Raftery for taking the time out and jumping on the, the Sidelines podcast. Enjoyed that conversation with him and, and, and getting his thoughts and feedback on these new NCAA rules. I, I, I think the, the rules that probably impact um, this whole deal from a recruiting aspect the most is, is obviously the shift in the recruiting calendar. And while... I think, like Raftery said, that the, the rule changes were well-intentioned. I think they really missed the mark with the recruiting calendar. Uh, moving to just one AAU weekend, um, I, I think, is a mistake. And I think it's going to, to impact uh, a lot of kids, a lot of kids of the low- and mid-major variety. And, and I want to kind of get to a point. This past summer was a summer of, of risers in July there were a number of players that really stepped up in that month, um, primarily in the second and third evaluation periods, uh, and moved from low and mid-major recruits uh, to priority high-major recruits. Guys like Robbie Baran, who's going to be ranked among the top 50 players in the country in the 24-7 sports, uh, top 24-7. Caden Shedrick entered July as a mid-major player. He is now committed to Virginia. Cole Bajima entered July as a mid-major prospect. He's now committed to Michigan. Now, obviously, these guys um, were talented coming into July, but they hadn't had an opportunity to be seen. You know, Robbie Baram played on a, um, an AAU team called uh, Garner Road Team Richmond. Caden uh, Shedrick played on a different Garner Road team. Cole Bajima played for a team called Friends of Hoop. There's another kid uh, from uh, Canada, uh, up near Alaska, Liam McChesney. Happened to see him... Uh, in the middle of the last period, six foot nine, power forward, uh, at least a high mid-level prospect, potentially a high major prospect. Uh, the only offer he had, Eastern Washington, 
Gonzaga goes in and see him. Washington goes in to see him. Minnesota goes in to see him. A number of others go in to see him. Uh, I believe that UCLA has called on him. So, so now this kid's recruitment uh, has taken off a little. Uh, and without that last period, it would have never happened. So the new rules um, ha- have opened up MBPA Top 100 Camp for college coaches. They've added two high school weekends. They have one AAU weekend at the beginning of July and then a camp at the end of the July. And I, I will preface this by saying I'm not a lover of camps when it comes to evaluating basketball players. Uh, I, I think that that's where you make the most mistakes. Uh, they're not familiar with each other. Uh, if you're a big man, uh, it's not a good look. You're not going to get a lot of touches. Uh, I'll say this. I think the best camp to evaluate at is the USA basketball camps. They put the kids in competitive situations. Uh, they're competing for something. They're playing for something. They're playing to make a team. So that, so I'm very curious how they structured these camps. Uh, if it becomes four regional camps with 200 kids each, I think it's going to be difficult for everyone involved. It's going to be difficult for coaches uh, to evaluate uh, the right players for their system. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for guys like me that are evaluating players. And I know that uh, these rules aren't uh, certainly aren't made for, for guys like me. I, I just think it's going to be harder for coaches to, to evaluate guys in these settings. Uh, and the, the adding the two high school weekends is interesting to me because from a handful of high school coaches that I've talked to, uh, I don't think they wanted it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA handles it. Will high schools be allowed to travel to tournaments out of state? The, uh, the guys that have run Fab 48, Grant Rice, high school coach at Bishop Gorman, has already put something out saying him and Gary Charles uh, are going to run uh, a big national high school tournament in that weekend, assuming that it's approved. Uh, will high schools be allowed to travel to those tournaments? How will they handle players that are in the process of transferring schools? Uh, what if a school isn't part of a state association? There's just a lot of question marks uh, to go with that high school portion, and I think um, this is going to make it harder on college coaches. I even had one high major assistant coach said that their staff is going to spend a ton more money because they're going to have to fly all over the country to see a few guys. And he said that their staff was going to have to uh, put it in the budget to use multiple private planes so they could see as many people as possible during that high school period. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all uh, plays out. And I, I think uh, to that point, the, the best part about AAU um, for coaches and, and guys like me is bringing the best players together from a specific region and you get to see uh, more good players at the same time. And obviously there are some loaded high school teams, but for the most part you're looking at teams with maybe one Division One player. So this is really going to spread things out, and I think it's going to make things difficult uh, for a lot of people. Obviously, some of these rules that they put in place uh, are good for the game. I think allowing players to come back uh, if they don't get drafted is good for the game, but I think they really missed the mark uh, with the recruiting calendar change. Let's shift gears to uh, summer superlatives. I want to talk about a couple specific players. Uh, The the top performer for me uh, throughout July is Oscar Shubowie. This is an absolute monster. Six foot nine, strong chiseled frame, runs end to end, plays uh, as physical as a player that I've seen. He is extremely active. Uh, He rebounds in and out of his area. He looks to dunk things uh, in the paint. He's blocked shots. He just competes on both ends, and I think this guy uh, raised his stock to a degree that he he will move to a five-star player 
uh, when we update the 24-7 sports uh, player rankings. And uh, I, I think this kid is the ultimate competitor. Um, he doesn't have ideal size for a center prospect. I'd like him to be a little taller, but at six foot nine, it's certainly big enough. Um, but he just plays w- with so much physicality and so much energy. Uh, I-, I thought Oscar uh, was the top performer of July. He certainly uh, raised my eyebrows a little, and I, I think um, he just had a huge summary. He had a, a very big-time showing against James Wiseman, who I think is currently the best prospect in this class. Uh, quite frankly, outplayed him, out-toughed him. Uh, so uh, Oscar, I-, I think, was the top performer of July. Uh, another guy that I thought was really good in July is, is Nico Mannion, six foot three guard out of the West Coast, uh, playing for West Coast Elite and Ryan Silver's bunch. Uh, I think for a high school point guard, uh, he's pretty close to com- com- complete. He competes on both ends, he's a two way player. He's a good athlete, he's a very good ball handler, he can create space, he's got good vision and, and can really pass. I think uh, especially in this day and age where the primary ball handler spot uh, is full of, of more combo guards than point guards, I think he's a true point guard that has a nice blend of facilitating uh, for teammates but also can score. He can really shoot the basketball. Uh, this is a kid that's narrowed his list down to four schools, uh, Arizona, Duke, Marquette, Villanova. My hunch says that Arizona is the leader, but there's still a little bit to go. And uh, I thought Nico Mannion had a tremendous summer. A couple players that raised their stock during the July evaluation periods. There was a number of them, as I mentioned, uh, a number of them that moved from outside the top 150, top 200 that are going to move all the way up into the top 75 uh, in the player rankings. Uh, Let's start with a cook, a cook. Uh, plays for mass rivals, six foot ten power forward, can step out on the floor and shoot, plays with energy. Uh, he, he really raised his stock. Robbie Baran, uh, I mentioned him a minute ago, a six foot nine power forward. He's now going to be a high major recruit. He can step out on the floor, he can rebound, he's got a good frame, uh, and he's a good athlete. Cole Bujima, now going to Michigan, six foot six wing that can really shoot. He is game is tailor made for John Beeline. Uh, I thought that was a big pickup for the Wolverines, and I mentioned Caden Shedrick a minute ago, uh, now going to Virginia, six foot ten uh, post player that can run, he's got good hands, he's got a lot of tools, he's not a finished product, but he's got a lot of tools, so I think those four guys in particular really raised their play and raised their stock during the July evaluation periods, and before I let you guys go, I want to talk about the uh, FIBA uh, European Championships. I, I went overseas uh, for a little over two weeks to, to cover the FIBA U18A and B European Championships and then slid over to Serbia for the FIBA U16A European Championship. And I want to kind of give you, you guys the, the best player I saw from each event. Uh, we'll start with the U18Bs that were in Macedonia. A kid playing from Israel, he actually got MVP of the the U20s last month. But uh, Denny Adia, playing for Israel, 6'8", versatile forward. He's skilled. Uh, You can use him in a variety of ways. He can shoot the basketball. He's got good mechanics. Uh, He's pretty good with the basketball in his hands. But uh, I think he's a good rebounder. Uh, I think he can impact the game without having to deck the ball. Uh, He competes on both ends. 
Um, there's obviously still room for improvement, but I think this is a kid we're going to be hearing about for quite some time. He's not going to be coming to the States uh, for college basketball, but I think this is a guy down the road that we'll be looking at as an NBA prospect uh, when he's eligible for the NBA draft. In the A division, uh, a kid that, that played for Latvia, and that's where the U18As were. They were in Riga, Latvia. Uh, but this kid uh, certainly doesn't look the part. But Artur Zagars averaged nearly 19 points, 6.3 assists, and 3.4 rebounds a game in the FIBA U18 European Championships. And, and this kid was absolutely tremendous. He still um, has a slight body. He's very thin, uh, small, but he does have decent size at, at six foot three. But this is a kid that I think has a chance to play uh, in the NBA. If I were you, I would go look up some videos of this kid. Uh, very crafty, uh, creative with the ball, good ball handler, it, uh, very good speed, competes on defense and a pesky defender, uh, knows how to set up guys, can really facilitate and distribute the basketball, but he can score it too. Uh, I was really impressed with him. Obviously, there was other guys in that event. Um, like Marco Pekarski, who got MVP of the event. Uh, Philip Petrosev, who's going to Gonzaga, uh, is going to be a really good player. Uh, he helped Serbia to that title with Marco Pekarski. But Artur Zagars was very impressive and a name you'll be hearing about uh, for quite some time. And then over in the U16s, another kid that I don't think will head to college, but Usman Garuba. Uh, he was the best player in the event, uh, put up absolute ridiculous numbers. He's a, uh, a short 6'8". Uh, 7'2 wingspan, strong physical body, the best rebounder I think I've seen at the age of 16, played with so much energy, uh, quick off his feet, uh, really pursues the ball. He also showed pretty decent mechanics on his mid-range jump shot. So uh, Usman Garuba, he's a guy I don't see playing college basketball, um, plays for uh, Real Madrid in Spain. I, I think he's a guy that's got a, a good chance to play in the NBA one day. And, and when you can rebound the way he does – uh, I think it translates, and uh, I, I think he's a, a, a very intriguing prospect. I uh, appreciate you guys listening to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that you all are, are subscribed to the podcast, and the best way to do that is to shoot it over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. Leave a rating. Leave a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. Uh, that would be extremely helpful and appreciated. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.